The following audio is from The Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. I want to start in prayer this morning. God, there is a lot going on in hearts. There are burdens in this room, God, that... that um, I pray you would overwhelm people with your grace. I pray you would overwhelm people with your love. I pray that healing would take place. I pray for your spirit to surround every situation, God, where there's relational challenge, God, where there's health challenges, God, where there's loss and grief and, and the pain of a new reality, God. I thank you that you are our comforter and that you remind us in Matthew 11, come to me when you're weary and heavy burden. And I pray that we would be so guilty of that, that Lord, in the midst of the things that we face, we find ourselves leaning in to you. And I pray that you would be um, all that each person needs, God, individually, uniquely, God, as they face certain things that they do. I pray you would lighten those burdens. I pray for breakthroughs in these situations. And I thank you, God, that you say, come to me. And so we do, and we love you today in Jesus' name, amen. Um, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that uh, my wife was watching the Hallmark Channel and saw an outfit and decided to get it for me for Christmas. So, <clears throat> so. so there you go. Um, if you're online watching and you threw up at home, I'm sorry about that. Um, but uh, anyway, here it is. And I also had somebody tell me when I get up on the stage, I need to change my shoes because I look like Mr. Rogers. So I don't know if that's a compliment, but um, I'll take it. Um, and it is what it is. Last summer, we're gonna be in Esther chapter four. If you got a Bible, you can turn there. If you got a smartphone with a Bible app, you can go to Esther chapter four, and we'll get there here momentarily. Um, but last summer, in, in one of my messages, I mentioned some of my favorite foods. And I mentioned one of those is uh, alder plank salmon and champ potatoes at Anthony's. And so my dad and his girlfriend took our whole family to Anthony's um, on December 23rd, and we had a great time, and I enjoyed that meal immensely. Um, and it was all that I had hoped it would be once again. Um, I cried over the, no, I didn't really, but uh, it was good. Anyway, but how about, anybody have a favorite meal? Anybody have a favorite menu item that you love to eat? Well, what, what is it? Oysters, okay. Ah, uh, awesome. <laughs> Okay, so just, she knows karate, so I gotta be careful. Um, somebody else? I saw Meatloaf, okay, there we go. Dungeness crab, all right. Whoa, some applause for that one. Yeah, there you go, awesome. Lobster, okay. Prime rib, all right. Crab cake, well, I think we are seafood people around here, so um, good job. Anyone else? Somebody? All the yeah, okay, I get that. By the way, I will say, somebody in our first gathering said broccoli salad, and I don't know what to do with that, so um, she's probably never coming back to our church after my response. I feel terrible about it. I met her in the lobby and tried to rebuild the bridge, and she slapped me, and it was ugly, but no. Um, I had her in a headlock. It was bad, but um, no, that didn't really happen. Um, I, I bring it up um, partly because, on one hand, we have our favorite meals, but we also know that, that food is sustenance. And again, this is not new information. You're like, did I come for, to church for this? Um, but it's called nourishment. And nourishment literally defined is this, sustenance or a source of strength. 
And, and we know that food is a source of strength. I mentioned this show that I watched during the summer called Alone, and it's like 12 people or 10 people that volunteer to go out in the middle of nowhere by themselves, and they give them cameras, and they literally spend as long as they can with nothing. They have to build their own shelters, and they have to find their own food. But it's amazing to watch over the days and weeks and sometimes months, watch them try to find food, and when they don't, how weak they are, how tired they become, because we're not unfamiliar that we need food to exist. It's how things work. But there's another source of strength today that I wanna talk about. We're gonna get to Esther 4 in a moment, but in John chapter four, Jesus is, is at a well and the disciples have gone into town to get food and Jesus stays behind. And he ends up having a conversation with a Samaritan woman, which there's a whole other sermon here about Samaritans and Jews and they don't associate really, but he's having this conversation. And the disciples come back and they're kind of surprised that he's having this conversation. But I wanna to read to you John chapter four, starting in verse 27. It says this, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? In the middle here, it says, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. And then it says, meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And, and again, the disciples don't understand. And this happens often when you read the gospels, the disciples don't understand what Jesus is saying. But he says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Our source of strength, as I mentioned a little bit ago, is not food alone. And that's where I wanna bring you to Esther chapter four for a few moments because this is the best way I can imagine for you and I to begin a new year. And in Esther, the story, I'm just gonna give you the Reader's Digest version or the Cliff Notes version here for a few moments. But the story of Esther is that when it opens in chapter one, there's a queen named Vashti and a king named Xerxes. Well, Vashti isn't all that Xerxes wants and she doesn't do the right things and she basically gets fired and the king looks for a new queen. He decides, Esther, again, quick version, um, Esther's the one, she becomes queen, she's new to this whole thing. At the, at the same time in the story of Esther, Queen Esther now and King Xerxes, there's a guy named Haman. Haman serves the king and Haman doesn't like Follow me here, a guy named Mordecai. Mordecai is a Jew. Mordecai is an uncle of Queen Esther, who then also is a Jew. Xerxes doesn't know that's her heritage or her lineage, doesn't know that about Mordecai either. Haman is angry, follow me, at Mordecai because Mordecai has certain rules according to being a Jew that he won't follow uh, uh, Haman and, and what Haman wants in being honored to be bowed down to in a sense to be worshiped and he won't do that. And Haman over time grows so angry at Mordecai's defiance that he decides that he wants to have him killed. But in talking with his friends, he sees an opportunity to not just take care of Mordecai, but to deal with the whole people group. So we're talking genocide here. And, and that's where Haman goes to King Xerxes and says this, and this is Esther chapter three. We're getting to chapter four. This is Esther three, verse eight. Then Haman said to King Xerxes, there is a certain people dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. 
Their customs are different from those of all the other people. They don't obey the king's laws. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them and I will give 10,000 talents of silver to the king's administrators for the royal treasury. So the king took his signet ring from his finger and gave it to Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. Keep the money, the king said to Haman, and do with the people as you please. The king gives a green light for this genocide to take place and Mordecai finds out about it. Of course, we're talking about his own people and he, he's all of a sudden uh, broken and you can imagine anybody would be and he's so distraught that he's, he's wearing sackcloth and he's wailing outwardly right, in, you know, right on the edge of the king's palace. And Esther catches wind of what's going on with Mordecai, sends a servant out to inquire of why Mordecai is so distraught. And Mordecai explains to the lady that Esther sent, here's what's going on. And, and basically says, I need you to go talk to Esther about this. And that's where we land in chapter four. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, verse 12, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house that you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will come from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to the royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king. And even though is it against the law, if I perish I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Father, today as we stop and pray, my prayer is that we'll be open to this conversation, that as we move towards what I'm talking about, there are many people in this room that could possibly bristle at what I'm about to say. Many people that kind of go, well, I wish I'd skip today and came next week instead. But God, I pray for us to humbly embrace the challenge of what I believe is the best way to begin a new year. Thank you for your work Thank you for open hearts. Thank you for how you challenge us together in Jesus' name, amen. When Esther's world at this point is falling apart and her people are about to be annihilated, what is it that she does? And when you see the story, it says specifically, she goes and says, hey, Mordecai, tell people to pray and fast. And I want you to repeat after me, pray and fast. Okay, there's something to this conversation that is weightier than simply prayer. But what I want you to notice as I take a little sampling of it throughout Old Testament and New Testament is prayer and fasting is not some new phenomenon. It's just something that doesn't get talked a lot about, probably because the challenge that it poses to you and I and how we feel when we skip a meal or two or three and how miserable it seems to us. And so when we talk about prayer and fasting, scripture is replete with examples of, of it happening. If you're taking notes, you can write down 1 Samuel 7. Samuel is a prophet of God at this point, and, and the Israelites are being attacked and overtaken by the Philistines. And part of the problem is <coughs> the nation of Israel is full of idolatry. 
Because they're full of idolatry, God has said you're going to reap the consequences of your idolatry. And Samuel says, you guys, we need to return to the Lord. We need to repent of our sin and we need to fast. And he calls a nationwide fast. David, after his sin with Bathsheba and she becomes pregnant, the baby is born and there's some issues. He feels the urgency of the hour and wanting the child to survive. It says specifically that he lay in sackcloth fasting for the child's life. There's many other examples in the Old Testament, but as you get to the New Testament, there's a point where Jesus has sent out the disciples to minister and they go out and they teach and they, they pray for healing and they see healing take place. But there's at one point something they can't take care of, a demon that, that is somehow possessed an individual. And it says that they couldn't cast it out. And they go to Jesus and say, Jesus, why is it that nothing could be done here? And Jesus says specifically, this can only come out by prayer and fasting. And Jesus himself, when you look at the beginning of the gospels, in particular Matthew in chapter four, it says that Jesus was praying and fasting, seeking God at the beginning of his ministry. And it says that somehow the, the enemy, the devil comes to him and tries to tempt him. And in the very first temptation, it says, you're hungry, tell these stones to become bread. And what is Jesus' response? It is written, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It kind of reminds me of the John 4 verse where he says to the disciples, I have food you know nothing about. Again, it comes up in Acts chapter 13. Again, there's many more examples. But in Acts chapter 13, the church is praying together as they're looking for wisdom and direction for what God wants to do next with this movement called the way. And it says in, in verse, uh, chapter 13, verse two, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. It seems like a common theme that comes up in scripture over and over that when things seem dire, it's that when things seem tense and, and, and things are elevated that people decide to set aside the creature comforts of normal life and, and seek God in a unique way that we call fasting. Fasting in particular in scripture is to set aside food and instead of spending that time eating, take that time to seek the Lord, to read scripture, to pray about whatever it is that's in your soul that is troubling, whatever it is going on that seems sideways. And, and I will say this, the reason I bring it up, there's a couple of, of, of reasons I wanna explain to you today. But I bring it up because I believe it's the best way for you and I to begin 2022. Why? Because two years ago, we had no idea what the two years was gonna look like. And most all of us, 100% probably, are pretty surprised by how things have went. In fact, I would wager that when last year began, you went, great, we're done with 2020. We can begin a new year. And then 2021 happened and we went, holy cow. And now we come into 2022 going, I don't know what to expect. I think it could be better, but it might be worse. And so I can't think of a better way. Listen, in the midst of all of the anxiety in our world, all of the fear 
in our world that drives anger, that can drive pride, that can cause people to respond in certain ways that we're surprised by, the way that, 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 that people have handled certain things like COVID maybe, or, or the political situations, or all that goes on in the division in families, even over some of these issues of, well, you, you've taken this stance and I've taken this stance and that divisiveness that's playing right into the hand of the enemy. I can't think of a better way to begin 2022 than to challenge every one of us to consider fasting. I was watching It's a Wonderful Life a few weeks ago, and maybe you did too. I enjoyed the movie over the Christmas season, but there's a point in the movie where there's a run on the banks. And again, you're going back to the the early 1930s, late 1920s, and, and the beginning of the Great Depression, but... George Bailey has, is in charge of the building and loan because his father has passed away and he's kind of stuck doing that. Otherwise, it goes to Potter who kind of wants to own the whole town and he's a miser and a jerk. But there's a point where he gets married and they're heading out of town. He's gonna go spend his money on his honeymoon and travel and do all this stuff, but the bank or the building and loan is closed and he realizes in the moment he has to do something. And so he runs over and he opens the doors and everybody floods inside and he says, well, what can I do for you? And they say, well, we want our money. He says, well, it doesn't work that way. Your money's invested in that house and that house and your house and here, sign this. And in 60 days, I can get you your money, but I don't just have a bunch of money sitting back here. And what happens? All of a sudden, somebody says, hey, I heard Potter will give 50 cents on the dollar. And so they all get ready to exit and leave and go to Potter. And basically the idea is if they go to Potter, Potter will own the whole town, including the building alone. And what does George Bailey do? George Bailey runs to the door and and basically blocks the people from leaving for a moment, says, listen, listen, listen. What is going on here? We're living in fear. Who, Who isn't losing his head? Potter, Potter's buying and you're all selling. Why? Because he understands how this works. If we can just let cooler heads prevail is basically what he says. And I would challenge us to the same degree when it comes to the world that we live in, there's something driving this fear over and over. Fear of the political climate, fear of race relations, fear of our neighbors, fear of COVID, fear of all this stuff that we're not called to live in that kind of fear. We're not called to be given to attitudes that we lose our heads and and buy into the divisiveness, but it's the order of the day. Did you know that Putin had, had some sort of meeting with the leader of China and we should all live in fear of that? You realize Iran is rising up? You realize apparently every colored person hates every white person, every white person hates every colored person? You realize every news report you watch is driving your fear? Clickbait on the internet as you scroll through social media is trying to drive you to click because they make money and it's driving your fear? What does it look like to lose our heads? Just look around you. But let me tell you something, we're not called to that. I'm not gonna lose my head. And I don't, I'm not bringing it up as a lament or a woe is me, but, but in the people that come to me with the speeches, the people that come to me with the anger, the people that come to me with the fear and dread and, and frustration of how things, I refuse to lose my head. But what does it look like to not lose my head? I've gotta make sure Jesus controls it. You could say, well, that's overly simplified. You could say that all day long, but you realize over and over, we're called to lean in, cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I've said a million times in this room, come to me when you're weary and heavy burdened. 
That for you and I, what does it look like to say, God, I am gonna set aside some food. I'm gonna set aside a meal or two or whatever it looks like and go, God, I need you to control me because I don't wanna be given to every other direction I'm pulled in this world. So that's part of why I go, you know what? Last year, we got duped into 2021 being a great year. 2020, we maybe kind of got duped into six weeks to flatten the curve two years later. And I get it, we're learning and all this, I, I get it. But, but for you and I, we begin to look at 2022 now and, and go, well, I guess I can't have any expectations. I guess I just have to come into it with a bunch of fear. And it just is what it is. But, but I don't believe that you and I, if we're followers of Christ, are called to live in dread and fear and divisiveness and anger and pride, all those things. I believe that there was a price paid on a cross so that you and I could anchor ourselves to hope, so that you and I could stand on a rock, so that you and I aren't blown and tossed by all the different winds of teaching that drive those kind of attitudes. And yet I would challenge you to similar to how the disciples came to Jesus and said, how can we can't do it? Jesus might challenge us to go, you know what? Why don't you incorporate some fasting? And we're gonna talk about why that's important. <clears throat> On one hand, part of the reason I believe it's important that we fast is because of the time that we're living in and we're not gonna buy into that stuff. But the other side of it is, do you know that the Grove Church this year is 90 years old? We're celebrating our 90th anniversary. Yeah. 1932 is when this church was established. And I, and I say it and I bring up the idea of fasting on one hand because I don't want you and I to buy into the climate of the day, whichever wind it blows, whichever given week, whichever news report seems to take the front headline. So there's on, on one hand, there's that, but the other part of it is what better way for you and I to come into our 90th year in existence? I know most of us weren't here in 1932, most of us. I know people within our own church that have been here for 60 and 70 years, which is pretty awesome. But I can't think of a better way to come into 2022 and begin the next 10 years before our 100th anniversary. Going, God, would you guide us in this next season? Why do I say that? Because for years we've talked about what it looks like to expand and we haven't been able to take that step yet. And yet for you and I to go, God, we're gonna fast and pray and go, Lord, would you guide us? Would you open these doors here? Because we've believed there's bigger days. If you've driven around, if you're new to the facility, you've driven around Marysville and you notice like a wing just got cut off, you're like, that's a horrible architectural idea. <laughs> it looks terrible. We cut off a wing and just threw some gravel down. Now it's a parking lot. Like what were they doing? We're doing it in preparation for, for an auditorium that we wanna build but we're not there yet. And yet I go, okay, God, we, we, we should fast and pray and ask for you to guide this thing because we're trying to get there. We've talked forever about planting campuses, churches that just become their own entity all over our county. For years, we've talked about this. We've talked about community hour. We've done iHeart. We've done all kinds of things to build those bridges. Those things are not gonna stop simply because we're in the midst of a time that feels so insane. And for you and I to dream and to plan to envision what could be creating an internship and a pipeline of leadership to facilitate what I believe could be incredible ministry. Hearts changed, people committing to Christ. Story after story, as we've already had for a while, of baptisms. People saying yes to Jesus. The light's coming on. 
even, even developing what we call kind of an online campus, people right now that are watching online. Some people say, you know, until COVID dies down and stuff like that, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hang at home. Great, we got ministry for you. An opportunity to build those bridges to Christ for you too. I look at the next 10 years and go, wow, God, I feel the weight of, of what could be. But I also realize I'm not the Lord of it. We're not smart enough to pull it all off. We're not brilliant enough to go, well, we got this. Here's the dream and put it on the board and let's make it happen. Check it off. But instead to go, God, here's what's in our hearts. But Lord, would you take care of the details? Would you put the pieces together? Would you impress upon us as a people, as a board, as, as a leadership team, as a staff, some of our key volunteers at times have meetings and, and, and give insight. Would you take care of what it looks like, God? Because we don't wanna do this in our own strength and we don't wanna go our own way. But I will also say that, that according to scripture, we are the church. Well, what is the church? The church is a hospital for the broken and you're welcome here. The church is a light for those in darkness and we want the gospel, the light of Christ, the good news to infiltrate every life we can. The church is, as we've said before, not a building. The church is you and I as we go out and exist in our communities and shine that light in the neighborhoods or apartment complexes or workplaces that we go to all the time. The church is you and I living out a mission that people can see the light of Christ through what you and I do and what you and I say every day. And so when we talk about prayer and fasting on one hand, guys, I don't want us to lose our heads. I don't want us to live in fear or live in pride. I want us, what, what, one of the things that fasting does, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but fasting humbles us. Anybody out there ever spent time fasting? Maybe you've taken a day or two or three day fast or you've done a 10 day or whatever. It's amazing in the seasons of fasting that, that I look back on in my own life and go, wow. It's incredible how humbling it is that certain attitudes or certain things as I, as I take time to fast and, and set aside the meal and go, God, here I am, would you reveal to me things in me that you want gone? Over and over as I look back on seasons of fasting, one of the things I'll, I'll admit is this, I don't understand how it works. But I also will admit that when I look back on those seasons of fasting and what came afterwards, it's incredible to see how God has worked and moved. And I wanna be careful here because here's what comes up in my own heart as I was thinking about this message. Sometimes we look at that and go, well, so fasting is kind of a performance thing. God, I'm gonna prove to you how spiritual I am. And when I do that, then you're gonna do these things. But I want you to go back to the story of Esther and look at chapter four and realize what she says when she calls the nation to a fast. What does she say? Mordecai, get everybody in Susa get all of them to fast for three days. Me and all, all the people around me, my assistant, we're all gonna fast. And after that three days, I'll go before the king. And what does she say? And, and now that I've proved myself, God will do all these things. Now that we've proved ourselves, God will magically move. No, her attitude is, is out of a place of humility. I don't know what's gonna happen when I go to the king and I realize, and by the way, in the tradition of that day, if you weren't called before the king, but you were surprised to come into his presence, this is weird to us, but he could literally say, do away with them, they don't belong here. And it wasn't just remove them, it was like, you can have them killed. 
And so that's when she says, and if I perish, I perish. It's a twofold understanding. It's the understanding there's a certain process to go before the king. Earlier on in this chapter, she literally says, you don't understand Mordecai, the king hasn't sent for me. I can't just show up. He has to send for me. And when he sends for me, I show up. And when I show up, usually I will bow down and I'll kiss his ring or do whatever I have to do, but he hasn't called for me. So if I just show up, I could die. And of course the situation is we're all gonna die anyways. But it's understanding her place of humility because she says, and I'll go before the king and if I perish, I perish. It's not, well, God, I fasted and prayed. How come this is happening? It's a place of humility. We set aside time to seek you, Lord, because we needed a breakthrough. And my hope, God, is that you bring some sort of breakthrough because this is a dire situation. You can almost hear her saying that, saying amen and walking into the king's presence, trembling probably. And as you continue to read the story of Esther, which I wanna encourage you to do this week, there's, that's, we're already through chapter four right there. So you can read five, six, seven, eight, and nine. Five more chapters, six more chapters. You can read all, and that's the whole story. But, but here's the amazing thing. When you read the story of Esther, I don't have time to get into all the details, but after she goes before the king, Haman is found out who started the edict. And not only that, but, but there was a point where the king couldn't sleep for some random reason, God. And he goes, hey, bring my attendants, have them read the book of my history so I can fall asleep, literally. And so the assistant is reading the history of, of what had happened during his, his kingship. And, and at one point, there's the story of Mordecai foiling a plot to kill the king. And the king sits up in his bed and is like, well, wait a minute, did we ever honor him for that? And the guy's like, nope, nothing written in here. Nothing happened. We need to honor him at the exact same moment that Haman wants Mordecai killed. The king is read in the annals that Mordecai saved his life. And so he says to Haman, hey, let's honor this guy. And Haman is humiliated. In the midst of that, Esther comes before the king and says, king, and she has Haman there as well, king, there's, there's somebody who wants all of my people killed. And he's like, what are you talking about? And he says, that edict that you created, that Haman wanted, those are my people. And he wants us killed. And Haman freaks out. You can imagine. Okay, the edict is flipped. And the king says, not my queen and not her people. In fact, Haman, if that's what you had in mind, the edict is turned around. He says, those people that hate you and they wanna harm you, you can take care of business against them completely turned around. And then Haman, fearing for his life, falls on the queen, begging for his life. And the king's like, oh no, you don't. And Haman is killed. And at the end of the whole story, Mordecai is held in high honor. And the, the, basically the Feast of Purim is begun right there, year after year after year, century after century after century. Why do I bring up all that history very quickly? I would say this, when you look at what God can do, if only we would set aside the creature comforts of normal life and go, hey God, as we jump into this year, what could be? And I would say it's a prayer I'm asking you to pray if you would fast with us. Like I said, maybe it's a meal. Maybe it's a couple meals sprinkled over 10 days because I'm declaring for us together a 10 day fast. It doesn't mean you have to fast every day, all day. But starting this Wednesday and ending next Friday, so January 12 through 21, I wanna challenge us to fast. 
Like I said, maybe for you, it's a meal here and here and there. Maybe it's a day here, a day there. Maybe it's a couple days in a row or whatever it might be for you. I wanna challenge every one of us. What does it look like to set aside some food and spend that time drawing near to God in scripture, drawing near to God in prayer, drawing near to God in worship and asking, Lord, what do you want to do in me this year? Lord, what do you want me to get rid of this year? What do you want me to, what do you want to set me free from this year? Some of you are carrying burdens from 2021 right into 2022. Some of you are carrying burdens from 1987 into 2022. And I really do believe that as you and I set aside that time to go, God, what are you wanting to do? That the Holy Spirit isn't, as, as, as I mentioned recently, the Holy Spirit can reveal to you. Get rid of that. Repent of that. Or invite this habit into your life. Take on some of these things that will change the trajectory of your life. Don't keep going the same way you've been going. And then also, not just praying you personally for you and your family, but praying as well, God, would you guide us as a church that as we celebrate our 90th year, as we look at what's coming, would you give us the courage to step out of faith? Would you help us move forward with the vision you have for the world around us? That it's not just we play church, but we make a difference in the world that you and I are existing in today. The places that we go as we leave as from gathering like this. So what I wanna challenge you with is what does it look like between Wednesday of this week, January 12th, and all the way to Friday, January 21st, 10 days, what does it look like for you to carve out that time? And if some of you say, well, listen, you know, I, like I have diabetes or I'm, I'm pregnant, I can't really fast right now, or, or there's a certain medication I take and I have to totally get that. There are other forms of fasting. Scripture talks about setting aside a meal. Maybe for you, it's going, you know, I'm gonna shut off the TV. I'm gonna spend some time. Or some of you go, it's social media. I gotta get off there for a bit and I'm gonna spend some time. I'm gonna set aside something I would normally do. So maybe for you, if it can't be food, it's something else. But for every one of us to go, what does it look like? between Wednesday and next Friday. And here's what I love. At the end of our fast, we have a worship and prayer night. Next Friday, from seven to about 8.30, it's just gathering, it's worshiping together and praying together. It's how we're gonna end this whole thing. But what I really look forward to is what God wants to do in you and in me, but also in us together as we move forward. Would you consider, God, show me what it looks like between Wednesday and next Friday. And, and maybe it's literally, as we begin to dismiss and move towards the end of the gathering, getting out your phone and marking some times in your calendar before you leave this room. Maybe for some of you, it's downloading our church app because we're gonna put some things out there to remind you, put some things out there to encourage you during our fast from Wednesday to next Friday. Maybe it's just taking a step and doing that. Go to the app store, go to grove.church and download the app and we'll give you some updates and give you some reminders and, and ways to help you pray and, and fast through uh, this time. But I wanna pray for us together before we dismiss today. God, it's, it's something that, that I think sometimes we bristle at this fasting thing. Because on one hand, well, is it about performance? And that doesn't seem right, but it's not performance. It's just setting aside time in, in, in certain circumstances where, God, we want something different. And we believe as we set aside certain creature comforts and focus on a spiritual hunger, that there's certain things that you'll do, certain ways that you'll work. But God, we're not demanding that. Hey God, if I do this, then you better. But instead, God, 
It's believing and leaning into a certain discipline in our lives in certain seasons. And this is one of those. Our God, as we take on a 10-day fast as a church, Father, we ask for you to set people free. We ask for you, God, to break through in relationships. We ask you, God, to bring the comfort that's needed, the healing, Father, for some that are struggling health-wise today. I ask for you to set free from certain addictions or certain habits, God, for, for, to, to bring a breakthrough in, in ways of forgiveness and, and healing in hearts. For you, God, to keep this world and all the fear and dread and panic and anger and divisiveness that plays right into the hand of the enemy, to keep those things at bay as we choose to soak ourselves in you and in your truth, in your spirit, God. I do pray that this year would be very different. Not just because practically the news reports something different because they're probably never gonna. Not because, Lord, something changes outwardly or externally in all of our circumstances, but God, because in our own soul, we've set apart you as Lord. We've sharpened ourselves a bit spiritually, God drawing near Father that gives us, I really do believe, a quickening to truth, just like Jesus in his temptation when he was fasting that immediately in all three examples of his fast, all three examples of his temptation, every time he was quick to say, it is said, it is said, it is said. And he knew the truth and had sharpened himself spiritually to find victory over what the enemy would do. I pray for that God in every heart. And I also pray as we move into our 90th year and we celebrate this year, God, it's not just that we celebrate God, but that we believe for what's next. We look forward to how you'll guide the things that we dream and hope about. And even those things you would say, you know what, here's what your dream was, but that's not what I'm asking. Lay that down, that you would guide every single step. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your work. Give us strength, Father, over this 10-day fast for each of us to participate in the ways that we can. And I look forward to how you'll challenge us in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.